Guys, it is an honor to be with you. For those that were here this afternoon and you came back, well, that's a gift. Um, that's not always expected. Uh, it is an honor to be with pastors Dave and Shirley. I'm so honored to be here. You know, I used to categorize my life and I would say, hey, when I'm in front of a crowd of a million people, that's amazing. 100,000, that's amazing. Seeing the dead raised, that's amazing. But let me tell you this, that every day is amazing in God. I no longer categorize my life. My life is no longer just simply based on the circumstances. My life is based on the God that's within me. I used to allow the circumstances of my life to be my testimony, to be my story, but his life has now become my story. This is my story, this is my song, praising my Savior all the day long. I serve the living God, his name is Jesus. Greater is he that is in me than he that is in the world. And the same spirit that raised Jesus from the dead resides within my life. And so people ask me all the time, Dr. Pete, is every day amazing for you? Let me tell you this, every day is amazing for me. Every single day, I don't have a bad day. How could you have a bad day if the living God decided to take residence up in your life? Come on, somebody. Jesus is alive. I don't serve a dead God. I don't serve his, an historical God. I serve the living God. Amen. And he's so amazing. And I'm just so excited to be just, even just to worship. I'm so blessed by the worship tonight and just to just experience Jesus. You know, it's just Jesus. Let's magnify the Lord with me. Let's exalt his name together. Just Jesus. The name above every name, Jesus. We don't have a problem. We have an answer. His name is Jesus. Jesus Christ. The, the same yesterday, today, and forever. He's my refuge and strength, the very he present help in a time of need. I thank you that he, if he be for me, nothing can come against me. We serve the living God. Just Jesus. Come on. Jesus. At the name of Jesus, every devil in hell must bow. My Jesus isn't a withering branch come to nothing. The enemy is a withering branch come to nothing. The enemy is not so big, so strong, and so mighty. My God is so big, so strong, and so mighty. There's nothing my God cannot do. The enemy is a withering branch. The enemy was made a public spectacle of. My God is risen. He hasn't died since. I don't serve a historical God. It's not just some intellectual figure that I serve. I serve the risen Christ. Alive on the earth today. He doesn't have an arm that's short. His promises are not flee. His promises are yes and amen. His yes, my amen. Jesus is amazing, isn't he? Like I just want to just... Jesus... Paul says, I know nothing but Jesus and him crucified. That's it. Some people say, but I did that. I prayed that prayer. No, no, no. Jesus and him crucified. My life is defined by the resurrected Savior. My life was defined by my creator. Only he has the right to define my, his creation, and he calls me his own. He calls me his son. I used to let life define me. I used to let the circumstances of life define me. I used to let situations define me. But how much better when the living God defines your life? Jesus, the name above every name. Christ in me, the hope of glory, the confident expectation that everywhere I go, heaven will manifest. My friends, I don't need to lay hands on you tonight, just the fact that Jesus Christ is here, two or more are gathered in his name. My friends, your miracle is in the building. Your miracle is right there to reach out and grasp for, to simply say, Jesus, you are my answer. I don't have a problem, I have an answer. Cancer must bow its name to the knee to the name of Jesus Christ. COVID-19 must bow its knee to the name of Jesus Christ. We serve the living God. He's amazing. Jesus is amazing. How many of you have read the Passion Translation of the Bible before? How many of you have not read the Passion Translation of the Bible before? Pastor, here's a copy. So it's, it's red, just because of the blood of Jesus Christ. But uh, if you re haven't read the Passion Translation before, the Passion Translation is just a, an enjoyable read. 
If you're offended if it's not the King James Version, it's okay. It's just enjoy Jesus. I just get to enjoy Jesus every day of my life. It's just such an enjoyable read. I've given out hundreds of them just because why wouldn't you give out the Word of God? I like to give out the Word of God, but if my life doesn't become the Word of God, we have a problem. This world has a problem. I'm not incorporating Scripture into my life. I allow the Word to become my life. Huge difference. I'm no longer in need of love. Because of his sacrifice, I became love. I was restored back to innocence again. I now have the image of God, which is the original intent of my life. I was created in the image and likeness of God. I was created with divinity in my life, divine purpose in my life, created to walk and talk with the living God, be in relationship with the living God. In the cool of the day, Adam and Eve walked with God. Through one man's sin, Adam's sin came into the world, and the evidence of the fall of man was man became, began to live for himself. First words out of Adam's mouth were, it's her fault. I was born into this world, born into Adam, and the first words out of a child's mouth are me, my, it's all about me. That is what Jesus came to redeem us from. He did not come to redeem us from a different political party. He did not come to deliver us from somebody else. It's not somebody else's issue. Your only issue is you living for you. If you were here today and you're having marriage problems, I would tell you it's your issue if you know Jesus. Okay, who your heart should break for is the person that's not living, okay, in the intimacy that they have the opportunity to share as a child of the living God. Jesus came to redeem me from me. He came to remove the self-centered desires from my life. I used to be in need of love. I had a void in my heart that was left when Adam sinned and I was born into sin. And now, okay, when I found Jesus, when I surrendered my life to Jesus, Jesus came and filled the void in my heart, and now all of a sudden I was restored back to innocence again. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ, that I was restored to innocence again. But I'm reminded in Galatians where it talks about that the gospel has been perverted, that the perspective of truth has been distorted. My friends, it is imperative in this season that we take on the perspective of heaven, that we take on the perspective of God. If we as children of God don't take on the heart and the perspective of God, this world is screwed. The shaking that is taking place is not with a world that doesn't know him. It's with his body. I'm not here to become politically correct with you. I'm here to bring perspective. The word is like fire and a hammer. I pray it destroys mindsets tonight contrary to truth. I didn't come up expecting to share this with you. In fact, I don't have notes. I've never had notes in 18 years. The Lord says, you fall in love with me. You share, you have intimacy with me and let the overflow of your life flow. If it's not from the overflow of your life, then they don't need it. If you squeeze me and you don't get Christ, we have a serious problem. If life gets difficult and you don't get Jesus out of me, we have a serious problem. It's a crime if I'm claiming to be a child of God, representing him, ambassador of heaven on the earth, if you squeeze me and get anything other than the love of God, long-suffering, patience, kindness, self-control. Why would this world want what you have if in the middle of the circumstances of life you bail? If you feel sorry for yourself, if you feel like the victim, if you judge somebody else, if you see a person according to their sin and not according to their worth and value, why would they want what you have? If you see them only according to their lifestyle rather than according to their worth and value, what is it that you think they would want from you? This world needs Jesus. 
He is the answer for all of our problems. He doesn't need a good sermon. He doesn't need the way that seems right to a man. He doesn't need to be, the world does not need to be entertained by the body of Christ. The world needs the power of God. The world needs the anointing of God to break every yoke, burden, and stronghold to realize that the living God is alive on the earth today, and he's looking for a remnant that he could pour out his spirit through. The shaking, I believe personally, take it for what it's worth, I believe is of the body of Christ. He's separating the wheat from the chaff, not in regards to Christians versus non-Christians. He's talking about Christians. He's separating those who know him by experience, a remnant that he can pour out his spirit through that can handle what he wants to do on the earth compared to those that are simply confessing him but don't truly know him. How do I know if I know him? Because I take on the nature of God, that the, the, the very evidence of my life is the love of God. Not just because I prayed a prayer. Not just because I'm biding my time trying to get to heaven one day. Jesus didn't die so I could get to heaven one day. Jesus died so that heaven could come back to the earth through my life. Heaven on earth. The kingdom of God is at hand. The world needs our Jesus. Heavenly Father, we come before you this evening. I thank you for the opportunity to come and gather in your midst. Lord, we thank you for what you're doing on the earth right now. Lord, we, we give you the right. Lord, we don't even need to give you the right. We simply, we simply surrender to your lead. Lord, that you would take the lead. That, Lord, I repent myself for taking the lead in this life. Lord, this world doesn't need me. They need you. They need Christ in me, the confident expectation of heaven on the earth. So, Lord, we give you this time. We honor you this evening. We bless you, Lord. I thank you for what you have in store. I thank you, Lord, for right now healing and touching people's lives. Lord, I thank you, Heavenly Father, for those that have come in yoked and burdened by this life. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for just a refreshing breeze of the Spirit of God coming upon them right now. I thank you, Lord, that hearts are being recreated, Lord, for the glory of God, even hearts of stone being made hearts of flesh. But, Lord, even more than that, I thank you, Heavenly Father, for recreating, Heavenly Father, the circuitry system of people's hearts right now, Lord. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that livers are being cleansed supernaturally right now, Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that kidneys are being healed, even by those watching tonight, Lord. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that lungs, Heavenly Father, Lord, that are being recreated, Lord, for the glory of God. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for healing virtue, flowing like a river, Lord, right now in amongst your congregation and out through the airways for the glory of God. I thank you that you are alive tonight, Lord Jesus. I bless you. I honor you. I magnify you. I thank you that hormones are being balanced right now in the name of Jesus Christ. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that intestinal digestive issues right now are being healed in the name of Jesus Christ. I thank you that diverticulitis, Heavenly Father, is being healed now in the name of Jesus Christ. I thank Thank you, Heavenly Father, that blood sugar issues are now being healed in the name of Jesus Christ. I thank you that there's an issue of blood, Lord, that's being dried up now for the glory of God. I thank you simply because, Jesus, you are in the building. You are in our lives. We thank you that there's nothing too hard for you. We honor you and bless you. I thank you that dementia right now is being reversed in the name of Jesus Christ. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that those that have a difficulty focusing, Heavenly Father, I thank you that the hippocampus of the brain, Heavenly Father, is enlarging now for the glory of God. And, Lord, I thank you, Heavenly Father, that the ability to comprehend, the ability to focus, the ability to articulate is being restored now in your children in the name of Jesus Christ. I thank you for bringing back prodigal sons and daughters, Lord. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for the desires that you place on our hearts, on, on mothers and fathers' hearts, Heavenly Father, for their wayward children. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that you're right now, Heavenly Father, in intervening in their children's life, Heavenly Father, giving them the desires of their heart. Lord, I thank you for what you're doing right now on the earth. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that tumors right now, I, I see a tumor right now in a stomach. And right now, I thank you, Lord, that that tumor, they didn't know if it was an ulcer, they didn't know what it was, but I thank you that that tumor right now is dissolving in the name of Jesus Christ. Lord, I thank you for your word. I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for the gifts flowing in this congregation, Lord, from this day forward in ways that they've never comprehended before. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for a new wave of your glory being bestowed upon this congregation, Lord. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for the, that the people from the north, south, east, and west would come in, Heavenly Father, and experience the glory of the Lord. I honor you this evening in Jesus' name. <clears throat> Jesus is amazing, my friends. Jesus is amazing. You know, I'm blessed when I, I, I look up here and I see Will Boggs. I don't know if you've met Will Boggs before, but he has an amazing story. He was actually hit by, I think, a semi. Is that right? Uh, uh, big old truck. It severed his brainstem. They said he wasn't going to live, and his mom 
Denise went in and said, I do not receive the report of the doctors. I receive the report of the Lord. You know, Mary was someone that Zacharias is, if I could be wrong, but Zacharias, the father of John, right? The word of the Lord comes, the angel of the Lord comes and says, this is what I'm going to do. And he says, well, I don't think it's going to happen. And so he keeps his mouth shut. Because sometimes the Lord's going to bring forth his word irregardless if we believe it or not. He just didn't want him to abort the word, so he kept his mouth shut and he became mute until the child was born. But then Mary, the angel of the Lord, came to Mary and says, hey, this is what I'm going to do through you. And she says, in the natural, it doesn't seem possible, but with God, all things are possible. And then she says this, be it unto me according to the word of the Lord. That's why I'm reminded of 2 Corinthians 1. Let me go there real quickly as it's on my heart. Second Corinthians 1, the Apostle Paul in verse 15 of 2 Corinthians when he says this, and he says, and in this confidence I intended to come to you before that you might have a second benefit to pass by way of you to Macedonia. I come again from Macedonia to you and be helped by you on my way to Judea. Verse 17, therefore when I was planning this, did I do it lightly? Did I do it haphazardly? Did I do it flippantly? Or the things I plan, do I plan according to the flesh? That with me there should be yes, yes, and no, no? Verse 18, but as God is faithful, our word to you is not yes and no. For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, who is preached among you by us, by me, Silvanius, and Timothy, was not yes and no, but in him was yes. For all the promises of God in him are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. He said, I didn't come to you flippantly. I didn't come to you on a whim. I came to you because a living God says, this is where I want you to go. It was his yes and it was my amen. He says his promises are yes and amen. He's a God that cannot lie. My friends, when the Lord speaks something to you, you can bring it, you can go to the bank with it. Our only response is, be it unto us according to his word. So be it, amen. It is imperative that we, as the body of Christ, take on the perspective of heaven once again. If we don't take on the perspective of heaven, what chance does this world have? Go with me, if you will, to Matthew 6.22. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. But if your eye is bad, your whole body will be full of darkness. If therefore the light that is in you is darkness, how great is that darkness? Word of God says, let your light so shine before men that they will see your good works and glorify your Father in heaven. There's a world that's very, very dark. How many would agree? And I think there's, there's a perspective that assumes that the world can somehow become less dark. Like I think that the body of Christ is shocked that the world is so dark and evil. Like something's gonna change. Like the darkness is gonna get less dark. There's only one thing that disperses the darkness and that's light. And unless the body of Christ, who is the only people that have the opportunity to shine in the midst of this world, unless we take our rightful place, what chance do they have? The earth cries out and groans for the revealing of the sons of man. The world is crying out, the rocks are crying out for the body of Christ, for the children of God to take a rightful place as sons and daughters of the living God. But if we as children of God lose perspective and don't see from the perspective in the heart of heaven, then we will not shine in the midst of a dark world. And if we don't shine, they are screwed. To think that someone that doesn't know Christ is going to somehow 
become less evil isn't reality. Man's only hope is Jesus Christ. But Jesus, not me telling you you need Jesus, not me calling out your sin, Not until my life bears the image of God in the nature of God, in the heart of God, and sees from the vantage point of God will grace flow through my life. The Word of God says grace works through faith and faith works through love. There is no faith if you don't have the heart of God. You can say you have faith, but all you're doing is trying to apply a principle and hopefully it will work. You're trying to take a sermon and put it into your situation and you're hoping that it works. My friends, that doesn't work. Trying to confess over and over again with the wrong heart in the wrong vantage point doesn't work. You will, it will leave you high and dry. I walk into many hospital rooms with people that are lying brain dead or dead and the family members come up to me and say, Dr. Pete, you know what? We're mustering up faith. We're just believing. No, you aren't. Faith is not something I muster up to get something. Faith is a vantage point from heaven. It's an impartation from the living God that says, it is so. It's a rest for the people of God. There's freedom when I live by faith. It's not condemning those that don't live by faith, but it's just saying, hey, if you find yourself yoked by this life, burdened by this life, confused by this life, then come boldly into the throne of grace to attain grace and mercy in a time of need. He says, come to me. You don't have to fake it till you make it. That doesn't work. The body of Christ is trying to fake it till they make it. It doesn't work. They're being frustrated because heaven's not manifesting in their life. Let me tell you this, heaven manifesting in your life is not because you performed well. Heaven manifesting in your life is because you took on the heart of God and you saw from the vantage point of God and it was impossible for heaven not to manifest in your life. Miracles are not difficult, they're not complicated. They're the evidence of someone who sees from Christ's perspective and has the heart of God. But if I don't know the gospel, if I think the gospel is a prayer I pray to get to heaven one day, if I think the gospel is an endorsement of my self-centered life, that's twisted, that's perverted. Grace is not an endorsement of my self-centered life. Grace is the power of a transformed life. When I take on his image and all of a sudden when you see me, you see him. When you squeeze me, you get him. But grace works through faith. Faith isn't something that I muster up to get something. It's not to get all the green lights on the way to church. It's not the good parking lot. Man, God's really doing good to me because I got the good parking lot. I got the good parking spot. That's not faith. Faith is the vantage point of God. It's the reality of heaven becoming the reality of my life and the conviction of my heart. It's when truth and the reality of heaven becomes the conviction of my heart. People say, what's truth? There's a lot of truth. No, there's not. There's one truth. There's an absolute truth. It's not what's your truth. That doesn't work. I'm not here to debate you about Jesus. I'm not here to bash your religion. I don't need to. That's a weak argument. I don't go around the world bashing other religions. Why would I do that? That is so pathetic. I lift up the name of Jesus Christ. I celebrate who I am as a child of God. I celebrate the fact that I was lost and now I'm found, that I was blind and now I see, that I was going nowhere and Jesus came and rescued me and redeemed me and put me on a firm foundation. And that firm foundation from that position, I reign in this life through the abundance of grace and the gift of righteousness. I reign as a king on the earth, not unto myself, but for the sake of others. My life is no longer my own. My, I no longer live for myself. I lived for myself when I was born into this world. I was all about myself, always lived for myself. 
But then I came to know Jesus, and he freed me from myself. How did he free me from myself? Because he made a way to my father. And I went all the way into my father's lap, my Abba father, and I sat in his lap, and I spent time with my father. And it's my father who establishes me and my worth, value, and identity as a son. He lets me know that, son, your life has value. How do I know that my life has value? Because the living God died in my place. He took on my nature. He took on my death sentence, put it upon himself, and gave me his peace, and he eternal life. How amazing is that? People say, well, where's God in the midst of this? He was there 2,000 years ago dying in your place, thinking you're worth dying for. That's amazing. Jesus is amazing. Jesus. Jesus. We're in the process of experiencing the greatest revival the world's ever known. The shaking that's taking place is amongst the body of Christ. I truly believe it's a separation of the wheat from the chaff, but let me tell you this. It is only a wineskin that has died that can handle the new wine. The old wineskin, a self-centered nature, cannot handle what God wants to pour out. Unless I die to me, I will never experience truly the kingdom of God like the Lord desires to flow through my life. But I'll tell you this, is the chaff, it's those that have confessed Christ but don't truly know him, that he will continually woo to himself. He's not leaving them like, hey, here, he is wooing them. There's a wooing that's taking place in this season, drawing his children to himself that says, there's so much more for you to experience in me. This life that you're only as good as the circumstances around you no longer has to be your existence. You're, the story of your life no longer has to be the circumstances of your life. The story of your life can be my life in you. And there's a wooing right now because he's, he's pulling together a remnant to harvest this world. My friends, he's going to take nations before it's said and done. Right now in the nations of the earth from my living room, I've just done my 12th crusade in a Middle Eastern country. The 12th one since COVID started. On Tuesday, in a village with no believers, every last individual gave their life to Jesus Christ. We saw over 10,000 people come to Christ last month alone from my living room. The nations of the earth, the harvest is ripe, my friends. It is plentiful, my friends. My friends, I'm not here asking you for anything. I don't need an offering from you. In fact, my book back there is there. I signed a couple copies. It'll make it probably less valuable. But uh, I have them for you just as a gift. I don't want anything for it. I don't need anything from you. It's not because I have a bunch of money in my bank account. It's because the living God has satisfied my life. Because I'm the blessed of God. The blessed of God isn't because my house is big or my cars are nice. I'm blessed of God because there's no empty rooms in my life. I've been completely saturated with the love of my Father. I know Him. And together we do great and mighty exploits because I know Him by experience. It's the blessing of the Lord that makes a man rich and he has no sorrow to it. What does that mean? It means there's no performance that it takes to walk in the blessings of God. Fully saturated in my God. The blessing of the Lord, there's a way that seems right to a man. You can get to a destination by might and power, but there's a way in Christ where the blessing of the Lord, a place so satisfied in my God, makes me rich, allows my life to overflow with the goodness of God, but it comes with no yoke. It's just liberty and freedom and joy and peace. It's amazing. It's just Jesus. Jesus. The lamp of the body is the eye. If therefore your eye is good, your whole body will be full of light. What does that mean? The lamp of the body is the eye. If we turned out all the lights in this auditorium right now and I had a lamp sitting next to me, we could all confess a thousand times together 
darkness become less dark? And how many would agree that nothing would happen? But the second I turn on that lamp, it disperses darkness. The darkness has to flee. The eye, the perspective, the vantage point of my view of my life The lamp of the body is the eye. The thing that brings light to my life is the perspective of how I see life. If my eye is good, that means it's focused on one treasure, and that's Jesus Christ. Singularly focused on truth and God reality, my whole body will be full of light and I will shine in the midst of a dark world. But if my eye is bad, that means it's sensual. It's fleshly, where this natural world has become my reality. Then it says, even the light that's within me will become darkened. And if the light in you is darkened, what chance do they have? Because there's nothing to disperse the darkness. Darkness covers the earth and deep darkness the people, and the only hope for this world is Jesus. It's not who gets elected on November 4th. I think the scariest thing would assume that whoever becomes elected on November 4th is going to change things. Unless the body of Christ takes the rightful place and begins to see with eyes, singularly focused on truth and God reality, we will never, this world is in trouble, my friends. People say, so you mean in the countries that you go to, where even my friends who are special forces and special operations, say it's the worst country on the earth to go to. They said, I don't go there. I wouldn't go there. Someone said the angels wouldn't go. Well, the angels actually do go there, okay? But I understand. They said people give their lives to Christ. Everyone gives their life to Christ. Why wouldn't you give your life to Christ? Why wouldn't you surrender your life to the living God? All you, have, all you need to know is hear the good news. It's good news. Not bad news. Who likes good news? Who likes to experience good news? The world is looking for good news. All they need to do is hear it. They need to see it. They, they don't need to hear lip service. They don't need someone to come and say, this is what you do, but let the fruit of my life speak louder than the words of my mouth. I don't need to cast the net out if I become a boat that the fish can jump into. The Lord says, you don't have to cast a net out anymore, son, as long as you become a boat that the fish jump into. I think it's in Luke 16, 16, it says, until John the Baptist wrote the law and the prophets, but since then the kingdom of heaven is preached and those press into it. Our life becomes a boat that the fish jump into. Jesus is amazing. If I'm going to shine in this life, though, I must have the perspective of heaven. The perspective of heaven is truth. What is truth? Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life. The entire, the word of God says, the entirety of the word is truth. The Holy Spirit is the spirit of truth. Heaven is truth. Jesus is truth. Who I am now that Christ has come is truth. But I can know truth intellectually all day long. I can memorize truth and I can even confess truth, but unless truth becomes the conviction of my heart, it doesn't do anything, okay? When the Word of God says, if you believe, right? Let me tell you this. It's not believe, belief or unbelief in regards to, we all believe something. I can tell what you believe very, very quickly. Let life get a little bit difficult and I can look at your countenance and I can know exactly what you believe. We all believe something. But when the reality of heaven and truth becomes a conviction of my heart, what I'm fully convinced of, I enter into the realm of faith. But when this natural world, the facts of life, become what I'm convinced of, I'm faithless. It's imperative that we begin to call a spade a spade. 
I shared earlier this afternoon that in Matthew, I believe it's Matthew 7, maybe Matthew 6, somewhere, <laughs> people go, Dr. Pete, like you're a chiropractor. Yep, that's it actually, just me and Jesus. People say, so what are you? Are you an evangelist? Are you a chiropractor? Are you an author? Are you a businessman? Are you a father? Are you a husband? I'm a son of the living God, and I get to shine any opportunity that I get. That's why if I'm here, it's such a privilege to be with you today. Just I'm lifting up Jesus. You might not like it, but I sure do. I'm having a good time with the Lord. And this evening, I'll be with Jesus, and I'll have a good time. And you can call me up and say, hey, how's your life going? It's good. It's, it's true. It's not good. It's amazing. But it's imperative that we take on the perspective of heaven. I feel more than anything else that tonight, simply that the Lord wants you to see from his perspective, his desire for all of us to see from his perspective, to take on his heart and allow heaven to manifest in our life. It's when I come to my Father, take on his heart in my life, and how do I take on his heart? By surrender. In fact, when I come to my Father, it frees me to surrender. The moment one surrenders to the Lord with an open heart, the word of God says the veil is removed and I begin to see. Once the Lord has my heart, I begin to see clearly once again. And it's when I see from his perspective that I enter into the realm of faith, and that's when grace operates. And grace is the power to make heaven the reality of my life. Not just the power of heaven, but the nature and the characteristics and the heart of God and heaven. He desires grace that transforms me and makes me like him to allow heaven and the nature of God to manifest in my life. But in order for me to take on his perspective, I must have a revelation of truth. That truth is Jesus, truth is heaven, truth is the entirety of the word of God, okay? But we live in a world that gets up in our business and gets up in our grill and tries to drown out truth. And so we wake up into a world where the doctor gives us diagnoses, the media lies to us, the bank account tells us things, and let me tell you this, the things that I see with my, with my eyes, hear with my ears, the things I smell, my, that's governed by my senses, okay, is the reality of this natural world that I live in. Facts are the reality of this world that we're born into and live in each and every day. I'm in this world, which is governed by facts, but I'm not of this world. I'm a new creation, I'm born again, I'm of a different kingdom, and I've come to represent the kingdom of heaven on the earth. In fact, an ambassador, okay, I have an ambassadorship at the United Nations, people say that's pagan, you're absolutely right, more than you think, but God is called, he's raising up a remnant of Joseph's in this world to infiltrate the Egypts of this world for the sake and the glory of God. We need to shine, we need to infiltrate the darkest places in the world for the glory of God. Let me tell you this, if I'm an ambassador of America in China, okay, so I'm an American citizen, American ambassador in China, okay, that means I've come to China and I've brought the authority, okay, in the kingdom of America to China. As an ambassador of America in China, I have diplomatic immunity. What does that mean? It means if the laws of China are similar to the laws of America, then great. But if the laws of China are different than the laws of America, and as long as I abide by American laws, even if I break Chinese law, I have diplomatic immunity. Now watch this, if I break Chinese law and American law, diplomatic immunity is gone. But as long as I abide by American rules and laws, I have diplomatic immunity even if I break Chinese laws. 
why I'm an ambassador of heaven, okay? I'm an ambassador of America and China. Now watch this. As a child of God, I'm born again. I'm a new creation. I'm born into a, I've been born again into a different kingdom. I'm now a representation of Jesus Christ on the earth. I'm a representation of heaven on the earth. So I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. But I do have diplomatic immunity. I'm a royal priesthood of the kingdom of God. I'm an heir of God, and I'm a joint heir with Christ. But I'm in this world each and every day. I'm not of the world, but I am in the world each and every day. If I'm not careful, this world gets up into my business and becomes the conviction of my heart. If the facts of this life become the conviction of my heart and what I'm fully convinced of, now watch this, I can tell you that that is the conviction of my heart. I can tell you what the word of God says, but squeeze me a little bit and you'll see what the conviction of my heart is. And when I'm in the world, the facts of this life what the doctor says, what the bank account says, whatever. I'm not here to deny the facts of life. I'm not here to confess away the facts of life. How many of you know that doesn't work? Trying to confess healing over your body, out of your intellect, doesn't work. That's why so many in the body of Christ are struggling and frustrated because they believe God's your healer, they believe that God's your provider, but they've never experienced it for themselves. They've seen it in other people, just not for themselves. In the world, but not of the world, but I'd sure like to apply that, the principles of that kingdom here, and I get frustrated because I'm trying to apply that sermon into my situation and it just doesn't work. but I'm an ambassador of heaven on earth. Therefore, as an ambassador of heaven on earth, the reality of the kingdom of God, what's the reality of heaven? Truth. The reality of that world is facts, but the reality of heaven is truth. So now, all of a sudden, I come with the kingdom of God into the earth, and the doctor says something contrary to what the word of God says. The word of God says that he's my healer, that he's my Jehovah Rapha, that he sends his word and it heals. But the doctor says this, confessing that God's my healer and trying to make something happen doesn't work. Watch this, I can say all day long that gravity doesn't exist. In fact, we can say 10,000 times gravity doesn't exist. Gravity doesn't exist, gravity doesn't exist, but if I let go of this, how many would agree that gravity exists? Confessing away facts doesn't bring the kingdom of God to the earth. Gravity is a natural law of this earthly realm. I can confess it away all day long, but it's still there. But watch this. But when I get into an airplane and that sucker gets going fast enough, the law of lift supersedes the law of gravity. It doesn't deny that gravity exists, but it supersedes the law of gravity. And so when I get going fast enough, the law of lift actually supersedes it, and I fly even though gravity exists. I'm not here to deny the facts of life, the, the reality of this natural world that I'm, in, that I'm living in each and every day, but I'm not of this world, I'm of a different kingdom. And all of a sudden, when the facts of life speak contrary to the reality of heaven and truth, I have the trump card and it's truth. Truth trumps facts, not because I confess it, but because it's become the conviction of my heart and it brings rest to the people of God. How is that? Because I come away with him and I meditate on his word day in and day out. I regurgitate it. I allow, I allow the word to become me. I'm not confessing the word. I'm not applying a principle to my life. The word actually becomes me. I become the word. It becomes the reality of my life. Otherwise, we're like James, I said this afternoon, it says you're a hearer of the word, but not a doer of the word. It's like a man who looks at himself in the mirror, sees exactly what he's supposed to look like, turns away from it and instantly forgets who he is. But he who looks in the perfect law of liberty, a state of being completely free, where the entirety of the
the word of God becomes the conviction of my heart. And the, the litmus test is I walk in freedom and liberty. The litmus test is when life hits me, I don't lose faith. When life hits me, I don't lose countenance. When life hits me, I still am in peace and joy and liberty. And now all of a sudden, I meditate on the word and when I turn away from it and life hits me, it doesn't even phase me. Why? Because the conviction of my heart is I have the trump card and truth trumps facts. And I live from the vantage point of heaven that operates from the heart of God. And all of a sudden, grace comes, which is heaven, and it literally invades my life and I become a conduit of heaven on the earth. Then I can boldly say, rise up and walk the kingdom of heaven is at hand. Why? Because I know what the doctor says, but there's a conviction that's been quickened in my life. It's literally birthing inside of me. Faith comes by hearing and hearing the word of God. That rhema, that all-powerful, the dunamis, dynamite, miracle-working power of God that becomes activated in my spirit because I've spent time with him because those who know him by experience will do great and mighty exploits. They'll be conduits for heaven to literally manifest on the earth, not because I'm trying to muster up a miracle, but because my life manifests heaven because I spend time with the living God because he is my everything. And I meditate on him day in and day out. And I don't depart from it for the right or to the left. I meditate on his word like most, with, jo, with, with uh, Joshua, right? He says, I, you be strong and courageous, right? He said, meditate on his word day in and day. Do not depart from the right or to the left. So when you go in this world, know this is my reality. This is my conviction. Don't go to the right or to the left. Know the reality of heaven. I'm an ambassador of heaven, so I've come. And the doctor says this, but my word, the word of God says this. My God says this. And now all of a sudden, Simply because of the conviction of my heart, heaven manifests on the earth. But the word of God says this in Hebrews 4, there's a rest for the people of God. When, when they live according to faith, live according to this reality, where the reality of heaven is the reality of my life. Not something I'm mustering up, it's just become me. It's an impart, imparted from the living God so I can say, it is so. There's a rest for the people of God when they live by this reality. But then it goes on to say, the word of God comes and it divides soul and spirit and is discerner of the thoughts and intents of a man. And everything is laid before me, like on a table. And everything is exposed before the Lord and nothing is outside of his sight, so I'm not here to fake it till I make it. I'm not here to muster something up. He says, when you are not at complete peace and rest in your life in the midst of the circumstances of life. He said, you don't have to fake it. He goes, I see everything. I see your heart. I see what's going on. In that moment, simply come running, come boldly into the presence of God to obtain grace and mercy in a time of need to take on my perspective once again, to see from my vantage point so that heaven can manifest in your life. And I go real quickly before I close tonight. I shared a little bit this morning, but the disciples were on the hillside. There's a, a gentleman with his boy, an epileptic boy who's being tossed in and out of the fire. They asked the disciples to pray for, for the boy. Nothing happened. The gentleman comes off the hill, comes up to Jesus and says, Jesus, your disciples prayed for my boy and he wasn't delivered from epilepsy. He says, are you willing? The amazing thing is, is that when I look at Jesus' life, I know the will of God. I never have to question the will of God. I simply get to know Jesus. There's not confusion when it comes to the will of God. There's not confusion when it comes to healing. There's not confusion when it comes to his promises. His promises are yes and amen. He said, follow me, I'll show you. I am literally heaven I'm the word that's become flesh. I am the reality of heaven. Watch my life. And Jesus instantly heals the boy. Do I know the will of God from the story? Absolutely. Why? Because he healed the boy. Is it his will to be healed? Absolutely it is. But the disciples came together. They called the elders of the church together. They anointed him, prayed for him. Nothing happened. Well, God must be sovereign. That is not truth. The disciples cannot heal the boy he comes, Jesus heals the boy. We know the will of God, not because of what the disciples experienced, but because of what Jesus did. And then Jesus says, 
Oh, you faithless and perverse generation. He is not referring to the generation that they were living in. He wasn't referring to the political landscape. He was speaking to his disciples. He said, you are faithless and perverse. Let's call a spade a spade. Let's get this thing right. Okay, let's expose mindsets contrary to truth. He said certain ones only come out through prayer and fasting. What was he saying? He wasn't saying that epilepsy was one that you needed to muster up a little bit more of prayer and fasting because epilepsy was a hierarchy of diseases. He wasn't saying that at all. He said certain mindsets contrary to truth and the reality of heaven okay, need Prayer and fasting. What's that mean? Now, could you imagine the boy's there? He's being thrown in and out of the fire. It's getting in his eye gate. Remember, if my eye is singularly is good, singularly focused on truth and God reality, my whole body will be full of light. But if my eye is bad, if it's sensual, if if it's looking at the natural as the real and gets in my eye gates, then even the light that's within me as a child of God becomes darkened. And if the light in me is dark, then what chance do they have, right? And so he's, he, he's being thrown in and out of the fire. Can you imagine getting that in your eye gate, seeing it in the natural over and over? And so instantly they lose perspective. I mean, could you imagine losing perspective? He said, in that moment, you have to come and prayer and fasting is the only thing that can get that mindset, which is not the reality of your life. You're in the world, but you're not of the world anymore. You're a new creation in Christ. The old things have passed away. Behold, all things become new. And the reality of your life is heaven. So I must shed that old garment. I must shed that old mindset. I must come to him to take his perspective. I'm not coming to God begging for God to do something. I'm coming to God to take on his vantage point once again. So that now when I go back in this situation, I'm coming in the authority and the conviction and the reality of heaven and I live at peace. I'm not trying to muster something up. I'm not praying for you and sweating. I'm praying for you with a smile on my my face because I know it is so. It was imparted through intimacy. When I came into the room, I just knew what I knew. It was quickened in my spirit. That's why when I go into a room, I'm not there to muster something up. In fact, simply, I'm obedient. I bind it loose. I bind the reality of a world that's no longer the reality of my life that I have authority over. I have all authority over all the power of the enemy. I bind up that spirit. I release the spirit of life and the kingdom of God. The word of God says you, I've been give, you've been given the keys of the kingdom of heaven. Whatever you bind on earth is bound in heaven. Whatever you loose on earth is loosed in heaven. That means whatever I allow on earth is allowed in the heavenlies. Whatever I don't allow is not allowed in the heavenlies. So I come in the authority of the name of Jesus Christ with heaven backing the name of Jesus Christ in my life. And I come and I take authority over that spirit, whatever it is. I bind it. I render it powerless in the name of Jesus Christ. Peace comes over my spirit and I leave. I don't hang out and chat. I lost my brother-in-law, maybe I'll share it tomorrow morning, the story of my brother-in-law. I'd seen every miracle on the planet. I've seen the blind, see deaf, hear, paralyzed, walk, but I've never seen the dead raised. I lost my brother-in-law, like I said, maybe I'll share it tomorrow. I'll share that experience with you. Pastor, do I have like 10 more minutes? I know it's a... Saturday night at 8.42, so let me just make it quick. My brother-in-law was my favorite favorite person. He was my best friend. He was the one person that I could, I wasn't Dr. Pete with. I wasn't an evangelist with. I was just, we just talked about sports, hung out together. He was new in the Lord, and I always said, Lord, I will go anywhere for you. I will die for you gladly, but protect my family. Long story short, my brother-in-law at the age of 29 got a condition as a side effect of a medication. It was a fluke, it attacked his lungs. He formed what's called ARDS, Acute Respiratory Distress Syndrome, and his lungs began to calcify, and anyway, he fought for his life for a good four months. We saw miracle after miracle in that hospital. I went up from Tennessee to Minnesota, we were there. We saw God move so miraculously. I was on the phone with him during March Madness after he had come out of the ICU for three months. He was in the step-down unit, he was doing well, he was just, it was a miracle. 
And um, they put him on a Motrin drip. It killed his liver. And all of a sudden, I got off the phone with my brother-in-law. We were having a good time. And about 11 o'clock at night, and my sister-in-law called me about 15 minutes later and said, his eyes just went to the back of his head. They just pronounced him dead. I go, I was just on the phone with him. That's not possible. I had my youngest of four boys who had just been born about a week earlier. And so my family packed up the house at one in the morning, at three in the morning, we left. We drove up 17 hours to western Minnesota. My sister-in-law said, you're not taking my husband out of the room till my brother-in-law comes, he's gonna raise him from the dead. They mocked her. I traveled 17 hours, we got there. In the ICU, if someone is gonna make it, they allow two people in the room. If someone is not gonna make it, they allow anyone in the room. And all of a sudden, I went up into the hospital room and there's 15, 16, 17 people in that room. I got on my knees, I put my hands on his stomach. I began to pray in the Holy Ghost and instantly I was brought into the throne room of God. And the Lord said this to me. Son, John has tasted of heaven. I fulfilled his purpose, I'll be glorified in his death. Release him to me. I said, hell no. I said, no way. Instantly a peace came over me from the Lord. And I said, Lord, this is my best friend, but I will release him if this is what your will is. I said, but you better tell Stacy, his wife, I am not going to. Instantly, within a split second, she said, everybody out of the room but Pete. She said, what did the Lord just speak to you? And I shared to her, I said, but I don't want that to be, you asked the Lord. And an hour later she came out and my brother-in-law had passed over into eternity with the Lord. I got the opportunity to preach his funeral. A day later after he had passed away, I said, let's go raise him up. And the Lord said, that is not my will, son. I've never seen the dead raised at at that time. I preached his funeral and 100 people gave, his, gave their lives to the Lord at his funeral. His mom, his dad, his brothers, his sister, his, my wife's cousins gave his life to the Lord. I was walking out of the funeral and the Lord said, do, I, do you still believe I raised the dead? I said, only because of your word, not because I've seen it. He said, in death, your brother, I was glorified through your brother-in-law. If you'd have been raised up, they would have said it was just a medical miracle they wouldn't have said it in his family, wouldn't have come to Christ. Six months later, I was at my office on a Monday evening. I was about to leave my office, and my secretary came to me and said, so-and-so's on the phone. I said, I can't take it. I said, what's going on? She said, a gentleman in Knoxville here was just had a massive stroke at work. He's 37 years of age. His name's Mike Perez. Do you know him? I said, no, I don't know him. But they said, they want you to come to the hospital. I said, I'm sorry, I can't come. Friday, I was leaving the office, 7 o'clock, and all of a sudden, my secretary came to me and said, pastor's on the phone. I said, why is, he's on, why is he on the phone? He, she said, because he went to Mike Perez's room today. They pronounced him brain dead. He's an organ donor. He went there to basically be with the family and help her as, as he was transitioning. And Kim, his wife, says, I'm not letting you take his organs until Dr. Pete comes. So I show up at the hospital at 9 o'clock that night, show up into the hospital room. He was set up to all the machines to save his organs because he was an organ donor Till I show up. I got in there, there's another gentleman with the wife there. I got on my knees, put my hands in his belly, and the Lord brought me into the throne room of God. And in the throne room of God, the Lord said, son, he's tasted of heaven, but I have not fulfilled his purpose, raise him up. I said, what? He said, raise him up. I simply bound the spirit of death, I loosed the spirit of life. Faith without works, a relationship without a response is dead. I bound the spirit of death, released the spirit of life. I didn't feel anything. I didn't feel heat coming through my hands, but a peace came over my spirit. I simply and graciously said to Kim, I said, Kim, your husband's going to be fine, and I walked out. When I was walking out of the room, the Lord said, do you still believe I raised the dead? I said, only because of your word. He was still in the same place. 
That Sunday, I show up at church, and all these teenagers begin to run up to me, never seen them before, and all of a sudden, the pastor's wife ran up to me and says, Dr. Pete, Dr. Pete, you won't believe it. I said, I won't believe what? They said, Mike Perez is watching TV in his hospital room. I said, what do you mean? She said, you need to go see for yourself. So I left church, I went to the hospital. I said, is Mike Prez here? They said, yeah, he's in that room over there. I said, let me ask you this, what, what took place? They said, we don't know. But Friday night, we were waiting to take his organs out and then all of a sudden, he was watching TV in his room. I said, how is his brain function? They said, it's perfect. A few months after that, one of my patients was in an elders meeting at church and his aorta ruptured. They rushed him to the hospital, they said he's not gonna make it, they had him on life support and all of a sudden, his wife called me in on a Thursday or Friday and said, Dr. Pete, you have to come, they've just pronounced Butch brain dead, we wanna take his organs, but the family wants to see you. So I arrive at Park West Hospital in Knoxville, Tennessee, I go up into the ICU, everyone is crying. I said, where's Karen, his wife? She's, they said, He's, she's down in the cafeteria waiting for you. So I go down to the cafeteria with Karen, Butch's wife. She's there with her daughter and son-in-law. I said, Karen, what's going on? She said, Dr. Pete, I don't know because we felt like our, that Butch was gonna be a part of the ministry and all that you're doing around the world. We just don't, I don't understand what's going on, but they just pronounced him brain dead. He's an organ donor and we're just waiting for you to go up because I know he has more in store for his life. So I began to pray with Karen just at the cafeteria table and I was giving the Lord a courtesy prayer. I was just honoring the family as much as I could and while I was praying out loud in my spirit, the Lord began to have a conversation with me and he said this, he said, Butch is not dead, he's sleeping. I go, what? He said, Butch is not dead, he's sleeping, and I don't want you to go up into his room. I said, that's why I'm here. That's why they've waited. He said, I want you to leave. Simply tell Karen that he's sleeping, he's not dead, and I want you to go home. So I get done praying out loud, and I said, Karen, I said, funny thing, but when, while I was praying, kind of lip service prayer, in my spirit, the Lord just told me that Butch is not dead, he's sleeping. She goes, great, Dr. Pete, let's go. That's good news, let's go up there. And I said, actually, I don't want to offend you, but the Lord told me not to go up there. He told me to go home. So I go home, I get home 15 minutes later. I get, my wife is watching TV. I sit down on the chair, put my phone on the ottoman, and all of a sudden, the phone rings. I look at it, and it's Karen, it's Butch's wife, so I flip it over. Obviously, I had great conviction. And my wife says, you need to answer the phone. You would want that, I answer the phone and she's going crazy on their line. She says, Dr. Pete, Dr. Pete, you're right, you're right, Butch is alive and he's watching TV. Butch is a patient of mine today. He's been, that's seven, eight, nine years ago. My God is alive. We've seen numerous people raised from the dead, even in Knoxville, Tennessee. But let me tell you this. I'm in the world, but I'm not of the world. Yes. But I've come to bring the reality of heaven to the earth. Yes. And if we're not careful, we allow this world to get up into our business and become the reality of our life. Right. And there's certain mindsets contrary to the reality of heaven that need to be uprooted from our lives, uprooted from our heart, and uprooted from our perspective. The only way that happens is that I come boldly into the throne of grace to attain grace and mercy in a time of need, and may it be the habitation of my life, his presence, his glory, his reality, where truth becomes a conviction of my heart. And let me tell you this, my friends, truth always trumps facts when it's the reality of my life. Heavenly Father, I come before you this evening. I thank you for the, simply the opportunity to magnify you. I thank you for the reality of who we are as children of God. I thank you that we live according to authority, Heavenly Father, that trumps the facts of this life. I thank you that we have all authority over all the power of the enemy. In the Lord, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, I declare over your children, Lord, be it unto them according to the word of the Lord. Lord, that you'd open up a book of remembrance, Heavenly Father, the desires that you place within your children's hearts, Heavenly Father, even those desires that have become dormant, Heavenly Father, you said in your word, Lord, if we delight ourselves in 
the Lord, you give us the desires of our heart. Lord, bring us back to a place of intimacy with you, Lord, where the desires of our heart, Heavenly Father, birth from the Father, Heavenly Father, manifest on the earth. Lord, I take authority over every assignment of the enemy, Lord, every spirit of distraction, Lord, every mindset contrary to truth, Lord, that the reality of heaven, Heavenly Father, would manifest in our life, Lord, that it would become the conviction of our lives, that it bring freedom and rest and liberty and joy. And Lord, those that find themselves yoked by this life, yoked by the politics, yoked by this pandemic, Heavenly Father, let them have the grace to come boldly into your presence and take on your perspective once again through prayer and fasting, Heavenly Father, only through prayer and fasting, only when I take on the vantage point of heaven and get literally uproot all those mindsets contrary to the reality of God, will I see again from your vantage point. We honor you, we bless you, we magnify you. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for the season that we find ourselves in, the greatest season ever to be alive. The season, Heavenly Father, will you pour out your spirit in ways that we've never experienced before. I honor you and I bless you, Spirit of God. I thank you for coming and visiting us, Lord, even tonight as we lay our heads down to rest. I thank you, Spirit of God, for speaking to us, revealing the, 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 the plans and purposes of heaven. I thank you for giving us the strategy of heaven, even tonight, Lord, as I thank you for dreams and visions, Lord. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for a creativity taking place in the spirit realm right now, Lord. I thank you, Heavenly Father, that mindsets are being broken, that mindsets are being destroyed, Lord, through the word of the Lord, like a hammer and fire, Lord, burning up all those mindsets contrary to the reality of who we are as the children of God. Lord, that you would give us the grace to come back to our first love, which is you, Lord, that we would know Jesus Christ in the reality of heaven, Jesus and him crucified, Heavenly Father, that our life has been defined by the living God, him and only him. We live according to where Christ finished the work. I thank you, Father. I honor you now, Lord. I bless you in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth. I thank you, Heavenly Father, for stirring up the gifts amongst your children right now, Lord, that they would flow in the power of God. But Lord, you said love is the most excellent way. Give your children the freedom to come boldly into your presence, to begin to understand your love for them, their worth and value as sons and daughters of the living God, that it be saturated with the length, width and length and depth and height of the love of Christ that passes knowledge, that be filled with all the fullness of God. And from that place, completely saturated in your nature, Lord, that they would begin to see clearly once again. And as we see clearly, Lord, I thank you for heaven having no option but to manifest in our life. In Jesus' name, amen. Bless you. I will see you, some of you, tomorrow. If it's empty tomorrow, it'll be just me and Jesus and Pastor David and Shirley because they would feel bad otherwise, but we're going to have a good time with Jesus tomorrow. Bless you guys.